Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. The power panel from Guide Talk just left, and all the Oreo cookies are gone. Not a one left. <laughs> it was a grab. It was a grab and run. Yeah, grab and run. So this hour, Tom Berkowitz is in studio, and the title of our discussion is called "Faith, Expectations, and Memory Stones." A very intriguing title, Tom. Welcome. Yes, I mean, I worked on that for a couple hours. <laughs> when did you start working on that? Today or yesterday? I want to know. Actually, on my drive over here. Oh, nice, nice. Because I talked to you a couple of days ago, and I wanted you to uh, talk about Joshua. And you, you got all excited about that. Oh, I, I really am excited about Joshua. He's one of my favorite characters. And in community Bible study this year, we're going to study Joshua for six weeks. Nice. Zip through 24 chapters in six weeks. Nice. And you are the teaching leader at I am. Community Bible Study in Edina, Minnesota. If I'm living in North Dakota and I want to go to that online, can I? You certainly can. That's very interesting. So I can watch you teach every week if I wanted to. You could. That's awesome. You could. We, about 70% of our members are going to be live in person. Nice. And 70%, or 30% is going to be on Zoom and they'll get uh, a re- Either live streaming or recorded messages. And if I wanted to show up online and watch, I can do that? There's no charges there? Or is there a registration for materials or something? I'm just curious. You have to be a member of our class. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Because it's protected. Now, don't ask me how they do that, but they do it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know you've been thinking about Joshua a lot, and did you even dream about it the other night? Well, not about Joshua. Okay. But I've been... Dreaming about Abram and Naaman, oh, of cool. all people. So a Jew and a Syrian. So, <laughs> don't you dream about those characters? I don't. I never have. I can't say I have. I, uh, <laughs> so Abram um, and Naaman. Right. Yeah. Naaman. Naaman. There's two A's there, so I would say nah. Naaman. Naaman. Okay. And the reason why I do that, because I listened, because I wasn't sure, so I listened it on an audio. Yeah, I do that all the time. And I use Naaman. Yeah, okay. Well, cool. So are we going to talk about Abram and Naaman? Yes, and then we're going to jump into Joshua, because it's practical. 500 years before Joshua was Abram, 500 years approximately after Joshua was Naaman, and those two things helped me understand what Joshua faced and how he acted. All right. Now you have to fit all this into your theme, which is faith, expectations, and memory stones. Right. Yeah. So get at it. Okay. (laughs) I can't waste any more time, Tom. Okay. Yeah. We're going to start in Genesis 15. And Abram just came back from rescuing Lot from the five kings or four kings or six kings, whatever it was. It's not important. And just as he was coming back, Malki Zadok, Melchizedek, as you would say, 
came and he blessed him and said he was greatly blessed by God. And Abram gave him a tenth of all the spoils and everything else he gave back to the world. And, but not to God. So now he's here as we start chapter 15. He's 10 years in the land. He's 85 years old. Remember, God called him out of Mesopotamia when he was 75, and he gave him a great promise. And we read about that in Genesis 12.1. But here we are in 15, 10 years. He just had to do battle, and he's come back. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your reward will be very great. So that would sound good, wasn't it? Yeah. But Abram kvetched a little bit. He reminded God. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I, will con- for I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, a Syrian. You promised me a great, I would be a father of a great nation. Mm-hmm. I have nothing. I'm 85 years old now. At 75, I thought it was a long thing. I'm projecting. (laughs) And I have a wife that's 65. It probably wouldn't happen, but we had faith. Now it's 10 years later. The likelihood is less. And then Abram said to Yahweh again, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. So he's kvetching a little bit with God. He's saying, he's complaining. Where is this promise? I uprooted and I came to this land because I believed in you. And now, Tom, just because everyone in this studio is not Jewish, tell people what kvetching means. Complaining. Complaining, okay. <laughs> I mean, we do that really well. Okay. <laughs> and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look towards the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then the Lord said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And he believed. Abram believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So I ask you, what did he see when God brought him out and told him to look up and count the sun? He saw sunshine and blue sky. How do we know that? Well, first of all, it was a vision. Visions usually happen during the day, but if you drop down to 12, verse 12, it says, as the sun was going down. So Abram didn't see sunshine or he didn't see the stars. He couldn't count them because all he had was sunshine and blue sky. But there's a Hebrew word, akari, and it means the end, but a deeper meaning is that what lies beyond or the end of the matter. So Abram could see beyond his circumstances to the stars in the sky, wow. and he knew God was faithfulness. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, now faith is the assurance of things uh, hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So Abram complained to God, and God said, 
No. He reaffirmed his promise. Your very own son will be your heir. What he didn't tell him, it will be another 15 years. But it was going to happen. So that's faith. Faith means you got to look beyond the circumstances. The circumstances will always lie to you. They'll scream at you. You can't believe, but the akari, that which lies beyond the end of the matter, is what we're seeing in the heavenlies. And Abram set the demonstration for us to see beyond the sunshine and blue skies to count the stars. That's powerful. So that's the faith part. So now we jump over to 2 Kings 5. And it talks about Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man, mm-hmm. but he had leprosy. So I'll paraphrase this so we can move quicker because I'm on a tight timetable today, right? Yeah, right. You are. All right. So he had leprosy all over him. And in, during one of his raids, he took back an Israeli girl who told his wife that there's a prophet in Israel that can heal him. Right. So... Naaman was a great man, great, the king's right-hand man, great commander. And so he went to the king of Syria and he said, hey, this Israeli girl says that there's a prophet that can heal me of my leprosy. And the king says, I'll write you a letter to the king of, king of uh, uh, Israel and we'll make this happen. So he saddles up with... 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of clothes, and he goes. He gets to the king of, of Israel, and the king of Israel said, Hey, what are you doing here? Are you picking a fight with me? There's no way I can do this. And he ripped his clothes. And then Elisha, the man of God, heard, and... Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may see that there is a prophet in Israel. What he's saying is that he may see the God of Israel because the prophet doesn't speak except through God. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house And Elisha sent a servant, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Naaman was very angry. In other words, he went ballistic. Behold, I thought he would come out, surely come out to me, and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over this place and cure the leper. When I was reading that, I, it was like I heard the v- voice of God speak to me saying, you are that man. Mm-hmm. See, I have faith, and I come to God for the things that I want. But I have an expectation of how that should take place. And... <laughs> And when we do that, we're really not coming in faith. We're coming and treating God like a, he's a genie in a bottle. 
will say a few words, and this is what he's doing. And then he told Naaman what to do. He told him, go down to uh, and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored. How crazy is that? Totally crazy. Would you do it? No. And Naaman yeah. went into a rage. Yeah, he went into a rage. So upset. So, so how often do I do that? All the time. When I pray to God. <laughs> <laughs> Not to out you here, Tom, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So when I heard, the, I heard that voice, it says, you are that man. Oof. Would I do some? Would I go down and wash seven times in the Jordan? I don't know if the Jordan is as dirty back then as it is now, but seven times. So what am I thinking when I go down once, I come up, twice, I come up. Three times I come up, I still have yeah. leprosy. Five, six, now there's one more chance. What I'm doing is I'm showing faith by going under. However, this is so crazy. Why would I trust and believe in that word? See, faith is sometimes hard to believe circumstances can you imagine what he was thinking my soldiers are going to think i'm crazy not to mention there's better rivers in syria yeah let alone this place yeah well, too better yeah too better but what are people going to think this is crazy yeah i remember i was praying for something one day and a friend of mine said believer said i wish you would have told me that what you're praying for will never happen that's crazy and i've thought about that for a while it happens all over in the Bible. He does crazy things. So the seventh time, Naaman goes under, and he comes out, and he's got skin like a newborn baby, mm-hmm. pure and clean. And I'll come back to that story in a minute. Yeah, well, I do need to take a break. Okay. That's all right. Tom yeah. Berkowitz is my guest. We're talking um, about uh, Abram and Naaman. And I know we've got a theme. It's, we're calling it Faith expectations and memory stones yes i love it we'll be right back Back to the show. Tom Berkowitz is my guest. He's teaching a leader at uh, Community Bible Study. He's been doing that 18 years plus, plus, plus. We're talking about uh, faith, expectations, and memory stones. And I'm going to talk fast because you've got a lot to cover still in eight minutes. Okay. Yeah, we'll do it Jewish style. That means no time is too long. We just talk fast. <laughs> okay. So now we jump over into the chapter one of Joshua. Moses, the great leader, the man of God, God's friend, who he spoke to face to face, has now died. And Joshua is going to lead the people across into the promised land. And if you notice in the chapter 1 and, and other places, it's, they keep praying for Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swear to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. It would sound like Joshua was a little timid. 
But we know that's not true because he was their great military leader. He fought the Amalekites. He's been fighting people for 40 years. He's a great general. But to be a leader of a people is hard. And sometimes we'll compromise to be accepted and love. I think you talked about that yesterday with Glenn Pickering, my friend Glenn Pickering on the, on the radio. So to lead an army is one thing of men. But to lead a population of, at that time, 2 million people, men, women, and children, it takes a lot of courage. Remember, Moses blinked when God told him to speak to the rock. That was so crazy, Moses couldn't comprehend it, so he hit the rock because he knew that would work. Well, God needed uh, Joshua to follow his commands to the letter. And that takes a lot of courage. And leading men and women and children and all the complaining and all the kvetching that's coming, it's it's hard. It's kind of like back in 1948 when Harry Truman had Kayan Weitzman, the first president of, of Israel, to come to the White House. And this, I can't remember who told the story, Truman or Weitzman, of that private conversation. But um, Truman was complaining about all the craziness of trying to be a president of the United States, leading the people. You couldn't keep everyone happy. And Kayam Weitzman says, I know, I know, Mr. President. It's really hard. I understand that. And Truman got indignant. He said, how can you understand what I'm going through? I'm a president of 150 million people. You just have 2 million people in Israel. He said, ah, Weissman said, ah, Mr. President, you are correct. You are a president of 150 million people. But I, Mr. President, am a president of two million presidents. And (laughs) it's a little different. And that's what he needed to be strong for that. He needed his faith for that. And as we jump down uh, a little further into Joshua God was going to tell Joshua to do some really unique things. First of all, they were going to cross over. And he wanted to cross over to Jordan, not at the dry time of the year, but at the wet time, the flooding time. And he was going to pile up the waters. So on the 10th of Nisan, Joshua follows the Lord's commands that cross the Jordan River on dry land because it's piled up for the next 12 miles. The water's piled up. All the Amorites see him walk across on dry land, and then they camp. And then God tells them to do the next thing. So now they're in enemy territory, millions of people that can take them on, and God tells them, um, take a flint knife and circumcise all your men. Well, that's not the brightest military thing to do. Or popular. Or popular. Yeah. I mean, then he said, don't move from here until you're healed. And I was, I was wondering, is that a year, two years, three years? I don't know. Yeah. It's a flint knife. Yeah. But we don't. It was 10 days. Because the 10th of Nisan is a day of preparation. In Jesus' time, we call it Palm Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then they celebrated Passover. And they celebrated celebrated Passover as free people in their own land. And the next day, the whole thing, all the manna ceased coming. 
and they lived off the land as free people. But then God tells Joshua to do another crazy thing. Go to Jericho. Don't fight normally the way you do, but I want you to surround, I want you to march around the city every day for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times and then shout and then attack them. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a battle plan, doesn't it? Yeah. It's just crazy. Can you imagine what the Amorites are thinking? What's wrong with these Israelites? Should we be afraid of them? But that's what God is teaching us. Faith in his word and lay our expectations on the bench. And it's important. That's why God had him bring the stones as a memorial of what he was doing in Israel. Mm -hmm. Back to Naaman. He asked Elijah, the man of God, he said, can I fill up all these bags, uh, two mule loads of earth, and bring with me? Because you have now transformed my life, is what he's saying. And he says, when I am serving the king in that pagan temple, I want to remember what the God, the true God did. And I want that land under me. And I'm telling you this quick, but Elisha says, go in peace. He wanted something to remember where of the great miracle that happened. And that was the same thing Joshua did with the memory, memorial stones. Hmm. I got to tell you, I've been struggling a lot through a lot of trials. And I have faith and I have expectations. But God is trying to teach me to bench my expectations and trust him. And I needed something to happen. This just happened uh, uh, this week, in fact. It happened on Monday. I needed it. I needed a check to come in the mail. And I got to tell you, I didn't think it would come. There's no way you could have told me it was coming. And I cried out to God. And the thing God is teaching me is you expect me to come in with one fell swoop and deliver you. Trust me. Trust me. And I'm thinking, this isn't going to happen. So I get to the mailbox, and it's junk mail and one piece from a a company I did business with not quite a year ago. I was going to throw it away. It looked like an advertising piece, and I decided not to. So I opened it up, and there was a check. (laughs) And it was a little bit more than what I needed. Wow. But that's a memory stone for me right now. I love that. Tom, powerful message. That is a great walk away take home for all of us is to bench our expectations and trust God that his way is the right way and to his will be done. Yes. Thank you so much. Tom Berkowitz has been my guest. We had a great discussion on faith, expectations, and memory stones. And if you missed any of it, go to myfaithradio.com. Check out the podcast. After a short break... Uh, Ron Hutchcraft will be joining me about his powerful ministry on Eagle's Wings. That's all next. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the 
know that I mostly love good news. But here's some challenging news. The average life expectancy of Native Americans is 44.4 years, where 74.4 is the national average. Native Americans have a 1 in 10 chance to be a victim of violent crime, more likely than any other group in the country. And one out of three Native Americans live beneath the poverty line, and Native Americans have the highest rate of alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and suicide in the country. And yet, they have some of the greatest spiritual potential of any group around. And there is a powerful ministry called Eagles on Eagles' Wings, and they're making a difference for Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited to talk to Ron Hutchcraft from Ron Hutchcraft Ministries. As you know, uh, he is no stranger to Faith Radio, and he has been at this for a long, long time. And boy, he has been serving his king like nobody else. Ron, so nice to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Bill. You just went through all that. You wore me out. Well, you know, <laughs> you you are the consummate storyteller. I and mean, the very first time I heard you on the radio, I thought, I trust this guy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, I, I, I have to tell you, it's a very exciting day. Of course, I'm, as you know, I'm with a team of uh, 21 Native Americans from about from 21 different nations, uh, Indian nations right now. And uh, in really front lines efforts that they are doing to try to bring their generation of Native Americans to Christ. And on this same day, I just have to share, and the good news is for sharing, and our five-minute radio program, A Word With You, which is uh, what I would call story-wrapped gospel. Yep. There's a story every day, but there's a clear message. And uh, I just got word from our office that A Word With You just in the past few days went on in Singapore. Oh, wow. So that's 10,000 miles from where I am right now, <laughs> on a you know, in reservation territory. <laughs> yeah. Now, your team that's uh, working this summer, they're, they're trained, and they're very committed evangelists, and they're traveling uh, across to reservations to share the gospel. So tell us uh, the story of this, how this amazing outreach came about. Well, you know, that story goes back about 30 years. I've done, my entire life has been cross-cultural youth ministry. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Hello, cross-cultural. <laughs> and, and then um, my ministry has been among, you know, the south side of Chicago, and then, then in the New York area for many years, including young people from Harlem and Patterson, New Jersey, and Chinatown, and as well as uh, rich white kids, poor white kids. It's just been like that my whole life, and I love that. But somehow in all of that, and being asked to travel all over the country and talk on America's young people, I had never met America's most broken, most devastated young people. And when I say most devastated, I'm quoting the largest report ever done on them, came out of the University of Minnesota, and it is Native American young people. 30 years ago, I was invited to a reservation where they air a word with your program, and uh, to speak for the radio ministry there. And I came home with an unscheduled broken heart, Bill. Mm. And, and a mission, an assignment from God. We already had a full-orbed ministry, plenty to do, but God literally would not let me let this go. I met those young people that week. That same week, that report I just mentioned came out. I learned about kids whose suicide rate is three times that of the rest of the young people in America, and in some parts of the country, up to seven times greater. I heard, I, I met young people who, where, where um, 
the rate of sexual violence among their women, two and a half times that of any other women in America. Uh, uh, And then because of the losses of generations, and we all know the awful story of the first Americans and how much was taken from them, how much was lost, lost their their land, they've, they've lost their their uh, lifestyle, and many sometimes lost their language, lost their lives. And all of that loss, compounding in the, the, the mountain of grief that you're born into as a, as a First Nations or Native American person, seems to have fallen on this generation. Mm. And uh, I've, I met for the first time in my life kids with no dreams. All the neighborhoods I'd ever worked in, they still had dreams. Native kids acted like they would have no future, and then they made choices like they wouldn't have a future, almost thus guaranteeing it. And that's why you mentioned that life expectancy. Mm-hmm. That explains why. What, 34? What, or 40? What 44. Was it, 40? 44.4. Good night. Yeah, You're like, that's... how can that be? And that's how it could be because right. of all the young people who are dying. Let me just say one thing about Native Americans, though. I think we forget what a proud, creative, deeply spiritual, uh, survivor people they are. There has to be some strength in them to have survived, as they have. And resourceful people, hey, listen, remember? It's like, if you're a Native guy, give me a buffalo I'll make a house out of it, a wardrobe out of it, food, <laughs> mm-hmm. food out of it, weapons out of it, and toys for my kids. Right. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. That's pretty resourceful. Yeah, I'd so, be I'd be dead in seventeen minutes. <laughs> you and me both. Right? Well, I'd probably get I'd probably get trampled by the buffalo. Exactly. That's the whole point. Yeah. But you know they they uh, are a mighty people and a warrior people, as evidenced by the fact that. They have fought in America's wars literally from the Revolutionary War on in a higher per capita rate than any other ethnic group in America. Mm -hmm. There's been a number of Native American Congressional Medal of Honor winners. And so uh, that's what we forget, who these people are. But all the losses and all the compounded grief that goes with it have brought these people, many of them, to a point of despair and hopelessness that says, why should I even continue living a life like this? And out of that, here's the good news. God has raised up some Native young people who all those statistics I just mentioned, they were them. Mm. And coming out of that brokenness, they have a message for their people. And when they go on that reservation basketball court, which they will do tonight, which they've done all summer. We're on our seventh Native community, seventh reservation now. Um, They will be heard as no uh, evangelist, no pastor, no missionary would be heard. The missionaries tell us, we don't know what to do with the young people. Nobody can reach them. Well, somebody can. And even though after 400 years... First mission field in America. After 400 years of missions, only 4% of Native people know Christ. So I've seen, I'm an eyewitness to thousands of Native young people 
coming to Christ. I can't find that anywhere in all that mission's history. Guess what I am? I'm the little white guy on the bus. Right. Praying for them. Oh, that's thrilling, Ron. That's just thrilling. So I want to hear a little bit more about these warriors, these men and women who are carrying the gospel message. This is so exciting. Well, it is when you see the the light up against that dark sky <laughs> that I just described. Right. Um, uh, you know the the uh, you you can't right now as we're talking it's daytime, and if I said are the stars out? If you just looked, you'd go no. Well, no, they don't turn them off to save electricity at night. They they really are on right now. You just can't see them until they're up against a dark sky. And these Native young men and women, Bill, have uh, many of them have been reached through this ministry. They are reached, some of them, by, from a whole other aspect of our Native work, which is a national, uh, singular, really, of its kind, National Native Youth Discipleship Conference, specifically targeted to them, called Warrior Leadership Summit, where our summer began uh, in the first days of July. And so many of them have come to Christ in those settings. Some uh, were the product of some mission work and, and did know Christ already, but they've come out of uh, their stories. All I can say is keep the Kleenex handy, man. Oh, I bet. I and bet. They, oh, they're, they are living proof of a living Savior. There's no explanation for them. Many of them would say, wasn't for Jesus, I'm not even here anymore. Wow, that's powerful. Um, Ron, I don't know if uh, a lot of us understand the kind of spiritual warfare that might be going on on reservations. I mean, there's a rich history of, of evil or, or spiritual warfare. Would you uh, describe a little bit about what that might be like? I, I don't think a lot of people are in c- circumstances where the darkness or the evil is, is evident. You know, uh, the first people of this land are, uh, and always have been, a very deeply spiritual people. Uh, And yet, anybody who is a spiritual person of any kind, without the light that comes to any of us when the gospel comes, it's very easy for that spirituality to perhaps be misdirected, because... um, we, when when we get the good news about Jesus, we know you go through Jesus to access the world that's outside of our own, to the resources of the Creator God. But um, otherwise, you end up perhaps summoning the spirit world uh, in in all sincerity, trying to uh, get help from the supernatural for your health for your um, uh, that to, to for, for fertility uh, for uh, the weather uh, for crops for all kinds of things and uh, and consequently there is among deeply spiritual people a summoning of the spirit world in many different ways uh, virtually every day has been for centuries and the sad thing is that until any of us have the light of the gospel, whatever our race, um, we're going to be going in the right, shopping in the right store, which is spiritual, but the wrong aisle, 
And what you get is you get the dark side of the spirit world, Mm -hmm. unless you go through Jesus. Consequently, um, there is, uh, you know, in many areas of the world and in areas of our country, and some of those would be among the First Nations people, uh, there is a a spiritual uh, darkness that has been sincerely sought but not understood, and it brings about uh, some of the very things that we've been talking about. So that is, there is more at stake when a Native team is standing on the reservation basketball court declaring Christ. This isn't just about um, a new idea. This is a war. Mm. <laughs> this is a war going on, and the battlefield is a reservation basketball court. Doesn't look like a battlefield, uh, although if you've seen res ball, <laughs> which is reservation <laughs> basketball, <laughs> you might think that you we see it a lot. You might think there's a war going right. on, but you know it is so intense that it is the prayers of God's people, like people listening right now, who really I th- I truly believe are the deciding factor in <clears throat> many a spiritual battle, including the ones fought by this team. And uh, sadly, they they have so many buttons for the enemy to push in their life from their past, mm-hmm. because there's been all kinds of brokenness. And they uh, and much of that is being healed by Jesus, but they are still vulnerable. And so, in a sense, we are fighting a battle for the lost young people on the reservations, while also fighting a battle to make sure that the enemy does not successfully detour or uh, damage one of the warriors who's fighting for them. Mm-hmm. This voice, so on two fronts. Yeah, this voice needs very little introduction, but you know it is uh, Ron Hutchcraft. We're talking about On Eagle's Wings Mission, which is a, a powerful um, mission that is happening this summer across reservations in the U.S., and he's also host of the popular radio broadcast, A Word With You, heard in over 50 countries. If you count Singapore, it's probably 51. He's also written a book (laughs) called Hope When Your Heart Is Breaking. We're going to take a little break. We'll come right back and lots more with Ron. American believers are taking the good news about Jesus to the next generation of Native Americans. That's the mission of On Eagle's Wings. It's a very powerful ministry that's happening right now across reservations, Indian reservations um, across the U.S. And Ron Hutchcraft is my guest as we were talking about this, Ron. I, I just love stories of changed lives. I know you've witnessed many, many, many. I would love to hear one. Oh, they are uh, all over the place. i got to sort the I'll tell you about a couple of our team members, some of whom were reached through the ministry. Jamie is, and uh, I mean, her story is just, it's sad, but happy. It starts sad, ends really happy. But mom, a a drug dealer, dad, a drug dealer, girl, alone, uh, because they're drug dealers. Mom goes to prison because she gets caught 
She is shipped across the country to an uncle. Uh, this is an Apache young woman. She's shipped across the country to an uncle who consistently sexually abuses her. She is um, then, uh, because everybody in her world is a drug dealer, she has ready access to drugs. And uh, she gets involved in drugs herself. She is um, a girl terribly, desperately alone. Mm. She uh, gets bullied at school. And in her words, she said, then I became the bully. Uh, and her uh, her story just continues with so much tragedy, multiple attempts at ending her life that is, is, is so painfully lonely uh, and seems to have no future to it. Thankfully, uh, someone invited her to a meeting where uh, she heard about this Jesus, who, by the way, the one that she chose and the one that the team presents, they have to make clear that he is not the white man's God, because that is the lie that Native people have believed for decades and decades that our enemy has put in their minds. But you think about it, well, a lot that they lost was taken in the name of Christianity. And so, well, then obviously Jesus is not for us. He's a white man's God. So they don't even consider Jesus. But people like Jamie found out that he, in fact, was, much to our surprise and the artist's surprise, who painted a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. <laughs> he was a Mediterranean Jew. I ain't never seen a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Mediterranean <laughs> Jew. And uh, so he, in fact, was, if it matters to you, he was a brown-skinned man. By the way, he was from a tribe called Judah. Well, by the way, he lived on land that had been occupied by others, the Romans. Oh, by the way, he grew up poor. He lived homeless. He died a violent death. Sounds like the reservation. Yeah, wow. And this Jesus uh, literally changed her life so dramatically. She said, I was never alone another day after that. Once she found this Jesus, she will actually tonight in a very uh, desperate, very uh, even dangerous um, indigenous community. Uh, she'll be on that basketball court sharing her hope story as she has a couple other times this summer. And I have watched that crowd, even the, the rowdiest guys come only to play ball. Hush. And there is a, a total silence around that court. Uh, and Every one of the team members has 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 a story that is like so sad and so happy, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, there because it really is the light against that dark sky, and they have they they, they experience so much loss and hurt so young. You say most people don't have that much hurt in an entire lifetime. How can you have all that in 16 years? And so uh, it is such a miracle. I say I travel with a bus full of miracles. And uh, they're, they're just amazing as they get out. And now I will say this. They're all sharing their hope stories each night because with all this basketball going on and other games and food and we do little cookouts and 
pizza and things. Um, they are, uh, all of them out there meeting the locals as they arrive, getting to know them, finding out their story, and then beginning to tell their own personal hope story and how Jesus' story changed their story forever and could change that young person's story forever. And there is such power in those hope stories that are wrapping up the message of what Jesus did on a cross and an empty tomb. And the last night, a public invitation is given. And among the people where you don't, you don't necessarily make a big deal if you're going to believe in Jesus, you watch them coming from all directions to center court in mm. front of their friends and a chunk of their village to say, I choose Jesus. It's breathtaking. Oh, makes me makes my heart so happy. Something you said to Ron about her story, which I absolutely loved, and it gets always gets my attention when you said someone invited her, and I'm always reminded of the power of the invite. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. Many of them are invited to our Warrior Leadership Summit Conference. Mm-hmm. I think in this case, um, it might have been, I'm trying to remember whether it was a a family friend or a grandmother. Let's hear it for grandmothers. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure which it was, but um, uh, I, I'll tell you the story of uh, Randy, who was uh, Nespers from Idaho. And uh, ran, just very quickly, uh, Randy was told by his father and his brothers, who beat him up regularly, that uh, he was worth nothing. He never should have been born. Those were the messages ringing in his heart, head. He went to school, and the kids there just taunted him and laughed at him and said, your family, we all know them. They're just a bunch of drunks. He absolutely felt like a, a, a piece of junk. Finally decided that since he was, why should he stick around for a lifetime of that kind of sadness? Some A caring family uh, from his tribe, Christian couple, invited him to go to our conference. What they didn't know was he wrote in his journal on the trip, if something doesn't happen there to change things, I will go home and kill myself. Well, something happened. I'll bet you guessed that. Mm-hmm. And he met this Jesus. He said he heard about a man who loved him enough to die for him. He said he had never had love like that. And I literally remember that night in the counseling room, when Randy had talked to one of our team members, been led to Christ, having come forward to the cross publicly, uh, when he was leaving, I tried to catch people coming out, and I wanted to meet him, and I learned that his grandfather was the head of the traditional religion for that tribe. And uh, here he has come to Christ. And I just, he remembers this, I'd forgotten it, that 10 years ago now, I, uh, I put an arm on each shoulder, and I said, I just want you to know that I love you, and more importantly, Jesus really loves you. He said that hit him so hard because he said he had never heard those words hmm. ever spoken to him wow. in his life. A little did I know. Since then, he has um, uh, gone back to his community. I didn't even know he was doing this. And what he learned about how to share Christ, he decided to get his friends and family and some others together 
to, quote, hear about my trip, close quote. <laughs> and he ended up, they ended up hearing about his Jesus. And he said, I gave an invitation like I saw the team do. And 40 oh. of them came to Christ that day. Oh, wow, Ron. I love these stories. You know, we've got a big body of believers that are going to be praying for the event tonight right here on Faith Radio. And we just oh, have man. 40 seconds left. How can we support on Eagle's Wings? You know, if you go to hutchcraft.com, H-U-T-C-H, hutchcraft, C-R-A-F-T, dot com, you'll see, uh, you can, and you click on what we do on Eagle's Wings, you will see reports that I've written on this summer, some more of the stories of this summer, and you will see how you can help support one of these warriors. The only reason they can afford to be out there this summer is because some of God's people, like your listeners, have said, I will pay for a day of their ministry And the good news is they're going now to be trained with scholarships from us to train to be leaders for their people for a generation to come. Ron, thank you so much for doing the show. It's really been great talking to you. Bill, thanks for caring, man. You bet. Appreciate it so much. Thanks. Have a great day. Have a great night, and God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.